Psalm uh, 100 this morning. We're going to be in Psalm uh, 100 uh, for the Thanksgiving uh, today. Listen then uh, to the word of the Lord. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Let's begin our sermon this morning with just a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask today that we would give thanks to you. The great mystery of it is, Lord, that we need you and we need your Holy Spirit uh, even to be able to do that. And so even in our active thanksgiving, we are dependent upon you. And so, Lord, we ask that your spirit would work in our hearts, that we would have a greater appreciation for who you are, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, may we just go out from here today with our hearts filled with joy, a joy that comes through the Holy Spirit, through seeing and and knowing you. In your name we pray. Amen. This... um, I thought I would start this morning with our our introduction, just kind of sharing a little bit of a personal note. This psalm uh, is special to me because I remember uh, being uh, in our home as a young child and and every year at Thanksgiving we would we would read this psalm. It kind of became a a family tradition. I think somewhere along the way we stopped or we switched. But but I remember being um, young, like under 10 and, and we would read this every year. And I remember one year in particular uh, being asked uh, to be the one that read this psalm. And that, and that just kind of, in a, in a young boy's life, that just kind of became a special moment. Uh, and so this is a, a psalm that, that I've always enjoyed. I was looking through, uh, deciding what to preach for, for um, today for Thanksgiving, and I was looking through old files to see that I hadn't, don't want to repeat anything if I can help it. And I went, oh my goodness, I've never preached on Psalm 100. At least I couldn't find a sermon manuscript on it. So I'm like, oh wow, okay. The, the, the worry was that I would have like preached on it last year because I love this one. And then you come back to it this year and, and people, well, that sounds strangely like last year. Um, but this psalm is, is precious and it's, it's just a joy. And you can almost imagine uh, if you put yourself in the ancient Israelite shoes and and in the time of Thanksgiving, uh, going up to worship in the temple and, and you can uh, if you want to just put a visual imagery in your mind, imagine you're, you're you're going up into the city of Jerusalem and and people are coming from the, the towns around you. And so you're you're seeing your neighbor and you're going up for some kind of worship service and you are you are literally entering the gates of the city or or perhaps even more entering into the the gates of the, the temple area uh, into some of the outer courts and then perhaps moving on into the inner courts. And you can imagine uh, the joy and, and imagine. 
imagine the excitement. Now, I don't think any of you came in through our glass doors today singing uh, a song or anything like that, but, but even more so than we are excited to go to church on a Sunday, just imagine the, the annual worship patterns in the life of Israel and literally going upward into the city and onto the Temple Mount. Of course, in, in our worship, our prayers and our praises and our hymns go upward even more. They go into heaven itself. And uh, we'll end this morning talking, just briefly mentioning Hebrews, tells us that we have come into a heavenly Zion, even more so than that earthly uh, temple mount. But you can just, in your mind's eye, think about the joy that this would be. Think about the, the processions as the, the families are walking together and, and other families are coming out and neighbors are coming in. And as you get closer, the crowd gets larger and larger and just the joy that this would have brought. And I hope that that's a sense of joy uh, that you have in this Thanksgiving season. Um, as people gather maybe in your home or maybe as you go out and, and you go up, right, to your, your relatives' homes and you enter in and maybe you'll enter in singing. I don't, I don't know if that's your habit. That's not ours. But uh, just joy in being in the presence of the Lord and knowing God. Uh, that's what this passage is about. When we know the Lord and we know that we are His, we are filled with joy and thanksgiving. When we know the Lord, not just know about the Lord, but know God, who he is and what he has done and have that intimate relationship with him. And and out of that, know that we belong to him, that we are his sheep, the people of his pastors. When we know those things, it fills us with joy or it should fill us with joy. We should ask the Lord, Lord, Fill me with joy as I come to know you, as I come to understand who I am as your child. So our first point this morning is this. Know that the Lord is God. Point A, the Lord is God. There you go. You know it. Uh, Look at verse 3, if you will. Know that the Lord, He is God. Knowing God is the hallmark of of what it means to be a Christian, to what it means to be a believer. We know the Lord. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 says this. Paul's writing to Gentiles, people who were outside of uh, the Jewish covenant of the Old Testament. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that were by nature, that are by nature not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? And they were falling back into some sins and going back to, to legalism, and we don't want to get into that, but notice that that they were enslaved to things that weren't gods. You might think of the Old Testament and all of you. You have this little tiny nation of Israel and all of the nations around them believed in all kinds of other gods. They had Baal and Asherah and and the Babylonians had uh, Bel and Nebo and um, I mean, it just the Egyptians had Ra and all of these other 
things that, that were on the one hand idols, on the other hand probably demonic activity involved, and, and these people saying, these are our gods. And, and when a nation comes up to, to surround Jerusalem and attack, and you might remember when, when Hezekiah is in the city and Sennacherib comes, the Assyrians with all of their armies around and, and, and the, they send their representatives and they start yelling to people on the wall and they say, don't think that your God can save you. See, when you went out to war and you won the war, that was a way of saying, my God just beat up your God. My God is bigger than your God. And they are surrounded by this. And they need to know the Lord. Know that the Lord is God. That these other things are not gods at all. That they are idols. The great announcement of the Old Testament, we find it throughout, is that the Lord, uh, going by that divine name, Yahweh, Jehovah, He alone is God and God's people need to know him and know this, that he is the only one and not be tempted by these idols. So Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 35 to you, it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. Deuteronomy 4.39, know therefore today and lay it in your hearts that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath and there is no other. Know therefore that the Lord, this is Deuteronomy 7.9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and, and steadfast love to those who love him. And you can just in your mind flag that, the faithful God. The God of the covenant, the steadfast love, because we see that in verse five of our passage, Isaiah forty-five eighteen, written hundreds of years after Deuteronomy. We see the same themes again. For thus saith the Lord who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it and he established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Only God is God. Now that doesn't maybe mean much to us. We live in a world where, where we don't uh, walk out onto the streets and see rival temples, uh, false uh, pagan shrines set up, although there are some. But we need to know. We need to know that the Lord is God. God is not just a generic concept, an idea that we can fill with any description. Just because someone says, I believe in God, doesn't mean that they know the Lord, the, the God of the Bible, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We like to think in our day in America that everybody who says, God bless America, believes in the same God and knows the Lord. We don't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he is God, the son, and that God, the Holy Spirit indwells us when we believe upon him, that there is one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We do not know the Lord. I should point out at this point that that to know the Lord is to have a relationship with him. Uh, no is not being used here in an intellectual sense. Uh, although there is knowledge of God that comes with knowing God, there are things that we need to know about God. It's more than that. 
I would say, I would submit to you that I know my wife. We have an intimate marriage relationship. That entails me knowing things about her. I know what her favorite flower is. I know she likes dark chocolate. If I mess up on some of those things, I ought to know better. My wife would not like it if I said, well, honey, I I know you, but I just I'm not concerned to know things about you. Uh, We need to know things about God. But it's more than that. It's not an intellectual exercise. It is a coming into communion with him. That we know him. That he is real to us. That we have put our faith and trust in him. That that those Old Testament passages that, that he is our rock. Or in Psalm 142, that he is our refuge. And, and we belong to him and he is our God. Because he is the only God. There is no other. How do I know the Lord is God? Uh, we want to kind of, as we go through this, there, there are two sort of poles, if you will. Two kind of hooks, hinge points, if you will, that, that I want to hang this on today. First is, know the Lord is God in his acts of creation. We saw that in Isaiah 45, 18. That is he who has created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. Psalm 96, 5. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. It's fascinating there that it doesn't just say, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but God, he's really God. It, it, it could have said that, but it says God made the heavens. How do I know that the Lord is real? He made heaven and earth. Romans chapter one, verse 20 says this for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they speaking of unbelievers are without excuse. Now, I don't want to unpack all of that today, but I do want to just say that the the eternal attributes of God, his his divine qualities, his his nature, it's seen by his handiwork. And we are not just talking about a generic idea. We are not just saying, well, because there's a creation, well, there must be a God. Sometimes today in our world, we, we get swept up in the de- debate versus creation and evolution. And, and, you know, it's a worthy debate to get involved in. And, and certainly God did create all things. But let's not forget, we are not just arguing for a generic concept of a God against a generic concept of evolution. The goal of knowing God is knowing that he has made all things, that he is powerful and mighty and, and controls the creation and, and is like a king who, who sits above in, in heaven itself and, and spreads his royal train over his creation as his glory extends, as the heavens declare the glory of God. We need to know the Lord. 
why is it that nations and others make idols and and come up with all kinds of other theories about how the heaven and earth is created and how it came to be i would i would argue it's because they see the glory of god in creation and they don't know what to do with it and so in sinfulness we have to suppress it We have to come up with an alternative explanation because the sinful heart doesn't want to say, Amen, there's a God. But it it is like when when you walk out into a, a clear evening and you see all the stars in the heavens, it is like hearing music. And we are to to give thanks to God in those moments. And if we do not know God, it is like walking into a concert room and sticking our fingers in our ears and going, nah, 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 nah. Because I don't want to acknowledge the glory of God and glorify Him as God and give thanks. So we know God in His acts of creation. The second way is that we know God in His acts of salvation. It's creation is one hook and redemption is the other hook. Psalm 98, verses 2 through 4. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. God shows us his attributes in this steadfast love and faithfulness where he goes out and accomplishes the salvation that we need. We see it primarily as an example in the Old Testament, in the Exodus, that that God goes out and, and he does all of those plagues to show the people that he is God, to show the Egyptians that I am God and these are my people and I am going to redeem them out of their slavery. How much more does God show us that he is God in the coming of his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to redeem us? So you and I, the the imperative here is know God. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that you are a sinner and that Christ died for us to take the penalty for our sins? The only way for me to know God is to acknowledge my sinfulness, to come before him and receive Jesus Christ through through faith. And out of that, we we become to know God. As Paul said in Galatians, now that you know God, or rather, we could even say that God knows us, that that God has that relationship now with us, that sin no longer separates me from him. Know what God does, because it shows us who he is. God is a God of, of steadfast love, of of covenant-keeping faithfulness. You think in Genesis 3, man sins. Uh, We mess up royally. We're in big trouble. And God makes a promise that the seed of the woman will come one day and crush the, the seed of the serpent. It is a first preaching of the gospel. 
that there will be a Messiah, that there will be a Savior. And God keeps those promises and he he gives us more information along the way. He unfolds it so that we might know what he is like. He makes this covenant with Abraham and he says to Abraham, in you, all the nations will be blessed. Your seed. And he comes along in, in Galatians and Paul says, it's now in the gospel that all the nations are blessed. It's now that, that Jesus Christ is the true and ultimate seed. That, that yes, the promises were, were worked out and began to be fulfilled in Israel, but Israel sinned. So God appointed David to have an heir. But David sinned. But all along the way, God kept His promises. At every moment when His people are breaking these things, when, when they are sinning, God shows His faithfulness so that He might send His Son, so that He might redeem a people unto Himself. Know that this is the Lord. That, that, that God has, has shown Himself over history and, and that history itself is coming to a, a center point and that's in the work of Jesus. And, and history will, in a sense, come to an end as sin is defeated, as victory is achieved and then there will be ultimately a new heavens and a new earth all because God is faithful and God has this unbreaking love For us, know this God and give thanks because of who he is. I wanted to mention that God shows himself, uh, how God shows himself at um, Mount Sinai. I kind of got sidetracked from my notes here a little bit. But, But think, okay, so I took you all the way to the end. Now, back all the way back up and think about the Exodus moment. And, And think about when Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai. And he asks the Lord for, God, let your glory come before me. And what does God reveal? God reveals himself this way. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, this is Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And faithfulness. The exact same words that we have in our psalm. Then he says, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgressions and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. There is here, God judges sin. But God saves his people. And we see this coming together in perfect harmony in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, where God pours out his wrath for sin onto the Son so that he can be just, so that he can be a fair and holy and righteous judge, so that the world does not fly apart at the seams as if God had committed some kind of injustice. God judges sin on the Son. But because he judges it on the Son and not on us, he is able to save us. He is able to, if we put our faith and trust in him, he declares us righteous. 
brings us into that saving covenant relationship where we now know God. You see, there is no knowing God apart from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that as you gather for your Thanksgiving, I hope that, that not only do you think about all the things you're thankful for, the food, the turkey, the, the, uh, the uh, I almost said pot pie, I meant to say pumpkin pie, uh, the family that, that's gathered there, uh, the football, you know, all, all, all of those wonderful things, family, jobs, relationships. But I hope you're thankful most of all for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that it should be the, the pinnacle of what you give thanks for on the day of Thanksgiving. Not just everything around you and on the table. Although give thanks for that. But give thanks for the cross. Because without the cross, you and I would not and could not know God. Second this morning, know that God made us and possesses us. So know that God made us. Psalm 103. 100, the end of verse 3. Let me read the whole thing, though. Know that the Lord, he is God. That was just the first point. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastors. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pastures, the sheep of his hand. So we're not just to know the Lord. We are now to know and give thanks that we are his. There is in the Old Testament and the New Testament throughout the pages of Scripture this great covenant formula. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's, it's like wedding vows. Do you promise to love, cherish, and never forsake or forsake all others? And I don't remember my vows off the top of my head. And that's probably a bad thing. Um, but this, I will be their God is a promise that God makes. He vows it. And they will be my people. He vows it. So we come back to the two hooks. Know that the Lord has made us. The first way we should know the Lord has made us. He's created us. We are here today. We are breathing in air and breath and have life because God made us and sustains us. Uh, When you wake up in the morning, you are waking up because the hand of God has sustained your life. When you drive to church in the morning, you are driving to church and all of your molecules are holding themselves together, uh, not just because of strong and weak nuclear forces, which we learn about in biology or not biology, physics class or chemistry or whatever, but also more importantly, because God has ordained all of creation and somehow in using all of the means of science and things that we can understand, God, though, is the one that holds it all together because he says today is going to happen. You will get up. It happens. So we read in Acts and Paul gets before pagans uh, and he says that that God made from every one from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries and dwelling place that they should seek God. Then he says in him, we live and move and have our being. 
even as some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. You and I are not merely some meaningless jumbling of parts through through biological process. We are more than just a collection of DNA and proteins and chromosomes and molecules. Now, God uses all of that, and he uses biology to to allow the human race to flourish. But our lives have meaning. You have value because you are created in the image of God. God made you. The psalmist says that God knits us together in our mother's womb, that, that you are this unique individual, that, that the DNA that you have is part of God's plan, that, that receding hairline that, we, that some of us might have, and, and I'm starting to get one too. God has made that. And maybe that's part of the fall. I don't, I don't know. But, but those, those chromosomes and DNA and hair color and eye color and personality flavors that you have, all of that, aside from aspects that are sinful, all of that God has made. And do you know that? But even more, and this is the second hook. So you give thanks because God made you, but you give thanks because God made you his child. He has redeemed you. He adopts us into his his family so that when it says he made us and we are his, we are his people, we are the sheep of his pasture. It's talking about more than just creation. So the book of Exodus, Exodus 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. There again, you know, I'm the Lord, that name, know this. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arms, with great acts of judgments. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. This is the engagement ceremony. God gets down on one knee and he opens the ring box. Well, he's actually made all these promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So it's it's not a surprise. But this is him saying, I'm going to marry you guys. I will make you my people. I will take you out of this slavery. And, and, and you are here and you are this, this lady who is ugly because you're a slave and, and you have nothing and you are not beautiful, but I will take you and clean you. And I will make you my people. And we get to Mount Sinai and it's kind of like the marriage ceremony. Later on in Ezekiel in scripture, and they shall know that I am the Lord, their God. This is the promise of the new covenant. They shall know that I am the Lord, their God. There again, they shall know. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. You are my sheep, human sheep of my pastures, and I am your God, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 31 This is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's fulfilled in in Revelation as well, it appears. Jeremiah 32, they shall be my God and I will be their people. Isaiah 43, but now thus saith the Lord, he created you, O Jacob. He formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. 
Here, the analogy is that when God saves us, when he redeems us, he is actually, it's like creating all over. He, he makes us something new. That's why in Christ we're called a new creation. He said, I have called you by name, Isaiah 43, 1. You are mine. Do you see how good the Lord is? That, that we are this, this sinful people. Um, you go into the example in the book of Hosea. Hosea is told to take a wife who's uh, a prostitute, a woman of the world. And it's an analogy that God is making. That he married a people who were sinful and wicked. But he did it because of his great grace. He cleaned them up. He gave them new clothes. He, he took them out of their rags of sinfulness and gave them this gleaming white robe. You think of Revelation and, and the marriage supper of the Lamb and we, the bride of Christ, walk down the aisle as it were. Actually, we wait for Christ to come for us, but, but we will share in these gleaming robes of white because the Lord has created us in redemption to be his people. Be thankful for that. Do you see how good the Lord is? Psalm 100 verse 5. For the Lord is good. The Lord is good. We don't really think about that. We'll eat on Thanksgiving and we will say, man, that was a good meal. I'm stuffed to the gills. We will sit around and we will rejoice being with family and we will say it's good to be here and it is good to be with family and it is good to eat and and thank God for the food that he has provided. But the Lord surpasses all of that in his goodness. The Lord is good. I had a, uh, a friend's mom. Okay, so I was a teenager in the 90s, right? And in the 90s, uh, everybody used the word awesome, right? Uh, maybe rad was a word, some, but, but there for a while, awesome. You know, wow, that is awesome. That just rocks. That, that is awesome. I had a friend's mom that she, she would not let us use the word awesome because she would say to us, only God is awesome. Only God is good. Now, I'm not saying don't use the word good for a whole lot of other things, but, but when you think about ultimate goodness, only God is good. Why? His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. I'm going to give you a little Hebrew lesson. Steadfast love. It's just a tough word to translate. It's, it's the word chesed. And, and if you're good Jewish, you've got to get a little chach in there. But it, it, means, it means love, but it means more than love. It means loyalty, like when you keep promises. But, but sometimes, you know, in, our, in English, loyalty can kind of be dry and unfeeling. And, well, I... I you know, it's like being in a car loan. Well, I have to pay it because I signed it and I'm in a contract. So I'm loyal to it. But it, it's more than that. It's this loyal, faithful, 
covenant binding love so that there's aspects of it that are like grace and mercy and kindness that, that just you, you, you care for the person. Uh, it can be used of human relationships. Uh, Ruth shows Hesed to, to Naomi when she sticks with her mother-in-law, even though she doesn't have to. Uh, if I remember correctly, Jonathan and David, they have this, because they make this promise that if, if Jonathan dies, David will take care of his son. I mean, this is a binding, covenantal, deep friendship love. God has this. So that he has love, but it's, it's mercy, it's grace. He has, he has loyalty, that he, that he binds himself to these promises. And out of this compassion and tenderness, he keeps them. It's, it's not like human love, which, which ebbs and flows based on how we feel. It's love that is, that is bound by, by a marriage covenant, that he, that he will not break it. Because it rests in his character as we put various texts and concepts together. At the root, steadfast love is, is a good way to translate it. But it's just, it's such a richness of God keeps his promises. It's often together with the word faithfulness. It's deep love where he binds himself and he keeps it. And it endures on us forever because we belong to him. And we don't belong to him by virtue of who we are. We belong to him by virtue of what he's done for us. That when it comes to my salvation, I contribute nothing. I I don't walk into the presence of God and say, here is what I have to offer you. Will you stay loyal to me and love me? Israel over and over sins and walks away from God and God brings discipline and judgment and yet he keeps his word. He sends the son. You and I, we stumble and we fall in sin. And yet God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. His presence is in us and upon us. And and we can never remove ourselves from the hand of God because his steadfast love is upon us and has come to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 36, verse 15. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the crowds. Exodus 15, where there. This, this song that they sing after they go through the Red Sea and they're just all excited. One of the verses, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your holy abode. This is what God does for us. Give thanks. And that's our third point this morning. Give thanks with singing and joy. So I've given you all of these reasons. We are to take this knowledge of God, this knowing God, and come and give thanks. Verse 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Psalm 95, 2. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 107, 22. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. I hope this morning you get a sense of, of I'm telling you 
the deeds of the Lord. I, I've given you the whirlwind tour of, of Scripture and redemptive history and promises that God makes. But why are we doing this? Is it, is it because I need to have some filler in my sermon and stretch it out a little more? No, it's, it's these are the deeds of the Lord. This is what God is like. This is what he has done. Know him. And now that you know him, give thanks to him. Isaiah 51, 3. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places. And he makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. I hope that when you come around the table for Thanksgiving that you have joy and you have joy in the redemption that God provides. But, but crystallize that imagery in your mind. A desert turned into a garden. Eden. That, that think, you can even think about your dinner table. If you go home right now, your dinner table is probably empty. It might even be a mess, you know, bills and kids put stuff on there and all kinds of clutter. But on Thanksgiving, it will be a feast. It, it will be a garden of Eden. The riches of God's creation will be before you. Unless you use fake pumpkin pie filler, then I don't know if that counts. But you'll have turkey and you'll have vegetables and you'll have potatoes. And, and it is a picture of the riches of the grace of God, ultimately the grace of God in redemption. Let me give you um, just kind of three things this morning. Uh, let me just note verse four again. Come into his presence. Enter his gates with thanksgiving then, his courts with praise. Now let me give you kind of how can I give thanks? Well, first, I'd encourage you to think in terms of the categories that I gave you. If you are someone that likes to organize things in your mind, I've, I've outlined that for you. You have two categories to give thanks. Creation and redemption. So you give thanks for your family. You give thanks for your life. You give thanks for the house that you have. You give thanks for the car that you have. Because God has given you all of those things as part of his goodness in creation. Even the unbeliever shares in those blessings, and they are from God. But we have also redemption, salvation, adoption. I am in God's family. I am saved. I am redeemed. I am a new creation. I mean, we could go on and on and on and list all of these biblical pictures or biblical words or, or biblical passages about what God has done. And all of it should be, amen, thank you, God, this is wonderful. Uh, put those two hooks, if you will. Second, I would say if I'm finding it hard to give thanks, think about God first. Sometimes in seasons of life, Thanksgiving can be tough. If it's a first Thanksgiving where we've lost a loved one or even a fifth or sixth or seventh or tenth or, or 25th or if it's a season that we remember a loss or a loved one that can't be there, it can be hard. If we're going through a, a hardship, maybe we're worried about a job situation or something is going on in life, it can be very hard to give thanks to God. And I would encourage you, if you're struggling with that, I don't want to minimize those things, but think about God first. The passage tells us, Know the Lord. 
And so maybe there are a lot of circumstances in your life that are not going the way that you would design them or plan them if you, you had your fingers in on it. But God is still good. God has still saved you. God has still given you so many gifts. God is still in control of all things. Think about God first. I one time uh, challenged uh, our, our youth group that when I was a youth pastor and uh, every week we would meet for a prayer meeting and we, we got in this habit of just throwing out prayer requests and they were important things to pray for, but it was sort of like, well, my dog is sick this week and pray that it will get better. Okay, we'll pray for that. It's good. But, you know, there are other things going on too. And so I challenged them and we did this for about six weeks. Every week we, we would bring an attribute of God. So every one of them would have to come up with an attribute of God that we would praise God for. And I started keeping a list and the rule was uh, you couldn't repeat the attributes of God. Well, we got in about six weeks and they started coming up with some really bizarre attributes, which were either subsets of other attributes or they weren't really attributes of God. But but the point is you can go on and on and on and ponder the goodness of God, know him and give thanks for who he is. And I'd encourage you that maybe there's something that, that you can write down. I'm thankful for God's Love. I'm thankful for God's care, his righteousness. I mean, it can be it can be the basic ones that, that are obvious, like like love and holiness. It could be more obscure ones that we see in, in, in some other passages of, of Scripture. But ponder God. Maybe you can think of a time where, where you messed up your life and he really stepped in to you know, bail you out, as it were. You can ponder the providence of God. God's providence is his control in all things, his governing of all of creation, that that nothing is life is outside of his hands. For example, you are driving down the street. Do you ever have this happen? You're driving down the street, you're running late, you need to be somewhere on time, and you get in front of a really slow car, and it just drives you crazy. And you finally, you know, that car turns, or maybe you get to a spot where you can legally pass them, or maybe you illegally pass them, I won't ask. And, and, and you come up on an intersection, and you realize there was an accident there. And you realize that if you had been early, you probably would have been in that accident. That is the providence of God. That is the hand of God, that God controls and governs all things in our life, that nothing happens outside of his will. And give thanks for that. Then the third little piece of instruction or advice today for, for giving thanks. I would say worship. So maybe at Thanksgiving you're not sure where to start being thankful. Take out, start a tradition, take out Psalm 100 or Psalm 92 or one of the Psalms and make that the one that you will read. Or ask your kids or each family member what they are most thankful for this season. Or maybe even do what I did with the attributes of God. What part of God are you most thankful for? Uh, I have found, and I'm not much of a singer, but I have found that, that taking an old hymn book or a new hymn book and, and flipping through a hymn and reading the words, and if I can figure out the tune and remember it and, and, and sing it, uh, sometimes sing it or hum it maybe, if you don't like to sing, hum the, the hymn. But worshiping God, entering his gates with thanksgiving, it, it can make you more 
appreciative. There is something tangible about singing that, that reminds you who God is. Isaiah 51.3, the joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. Hebrews 12.22 ends this way, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, with innumerable angels in festal gathering. That the people of God in the Old Testament, they would walk up into an earthly Mount Zion and they would give thanks and there would be these festal gatherings that the priests would put on and robes and there would be joy and there would be singing. But when we worship, spiritually speaking, we go into the presence of God. Our hymns, our singing, our prayers, our reflections go up into heaven itself. And that's because Jesus is in heaven. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and I am spiritually tethered to Jesus. So when I worship, my worship goes into heaven itself. Go with thanksgiving. God has created you and all things. God has redeemed you and made you the sheep of his pastures. You belong to him so that he says in Revelation, I am their God and they are my people. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just praise you. We want to give thanks, Lord. You have just done so many amazing things. Lord, we can study your creation. We can learn so many wondrous things about it. But there is a limit to what we can understand. That you know way more than we can even comprehend. Even things that we have yet to discover, and you will put it within our ability to discover them in the future, you still know more and hang and hold creation together. But even more, you have saved us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that over and over again, we, the people of God, broke covenant with you, sinned, our hearts prone to wander as we sing in the hymn, prone to leave the God we love, And yet you kept your word. You kept your promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, your servant, David. You sent the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that wonderful message of the gospel has come even here to us. Thousands of miles away, separated by thousands of years. Because your steadfast love and faithfulness is unending and goes to the generations. We praise you for that. Give us a good thanksgiving. Give us, Lord, as we gather today um, for the fellowship meal, may we just be thankful. May we be thankful for for being here, for being together, for for having the food. May we just delight in your uh, presence, but also delight in, in the presence and joy of being with one another. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Take your hymn books.